Would you please join me in our prayer for guidance? Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. As the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. Our scripture today is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through chapter, or through verse 22. I'll be reading from the New International Version. If you'd like to follow along, you can find the scripture on page 192 of the, in the New Testament of the Bible located in the pew. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Edith, and uh, thank you to all those who read scripture. I noted that uh, we had put a sign-up tear-off sheet in the bulletin a few weeks back, and we've had some new folks uh, to sign up to to do this and and some of the other things, helping with communion and so forth. So if you're interested in being... um, uh, contributing in that way to the uh, to the worship services, invite you to look at that tear off sheet. Um, this is a fairly long passage, and to address this in the sermon time uh, is very hard. So what I, I'm doing is taking one of the major themes uh, out of this passage uh, in the uh, 14th verse, and on for a few more verses, where it begins with Christ is our peace. And it talks about him tearing down the wall of partition, the wall that separated us, uh, Jews and Gentiles that separated people. I want for us just to think a little bit about walls today. Uh, I think thinking about life as being a series of walls in various ways is a good way for us to approach how we live and how we relate to God and how we relate to each other. Human beings are experts at building walls. I mean, we love walls. 
there, there's someone in Stanton you've probably uh, read recently, and then it's been in the news from time to time over the last decade, uh, who moved to Stanton and purchased a house and built a wall. She thought that she could build this wall, she and her husband, because they had gone down uh, to the zoning to the, uh, and the city had, uh, one of the employees told her yes, but there were still specifications on the wall and they built it too big. And so this has gone all the way to the Virginia State Supreme Court and it continues on this, uh, I don't know, it may have been resolved just recently. In the meantime, the woman's husband passed away. She's never fully moved into the house. All this battle over this wall and I know she doesn't like the battle. I know the city doesn't like the battle. But sometimes uh, we fight over walls. We fight uh, hard to defend them and to keep them. Uh, and, and so I wanted to go back just a little bit and talk about that, that part of us, that human part of us that does tend to seek to build walls. And the problem with that, why it is that Paul in Ephesians says Jesus Christ came to tear down a wall. And what that means. Now, I realize some of you are thinking, okay, we're going to get political here this morning. I'm not going to address a particular wall at all, okay? But, but any wall that we build does come out of our sense of, as humans, of our fears, our stresses, our worries. We build walls, both physical and we build psychological walls. And then what is this wall that Jesus Christ came uh, to tear, tear down? Uh, I went back and I looked at the uh, most famous walls in history. And I looked at what happened to those walls along the way. There was the Sumerians built the Amorite Wall uh, 2,100 years before Jesus. Uh, That's the earliest known extensive wall. It stretches for many miles there in the Middle East. Uh, Of course, it has been uh, destroyed and torn down and Uh, It served a purpose, a defensive purpose. The walls have purposes, and actually walls can have positive purposes. A dam might be a positive example of a wall to hold back water. But most of the time, most of these walls were built for defensive purposes. Athens was so close to the sea that they could be invaded easily by anyone bringing their ships up from the sea. So Athens, in that four-mile gap between their city and the sea, they built a wall that then stretched over to two other cities, and they built a triangle of defense. And that, that worked for them for about a century. But the Spartans finally overcame that, and the wall did not defend them. There's the Great Wall of Gorgan, which sounds like something out of a fantasy book that you might, uh, Gorgan, um, built in uh, the 5th century, 121-mile rampart manned by 30,000 troops. There's Hadrian's Wall in England. Uh, Some of you may have seen remnants, sections of Hadrian's Wall that still exist. Uh, The Emperor Hadrian built that 122 AD, not long after Jesus walked on this earth. And he did it to protect southern England from the barbarians of the north, northern England and especially Scotland. Uh, Scotland, those were ferocious warriors, so to keep them out, He built a wall that stretched for many, many, many miles along that border up there. Uh, Perhaps the most famous, the Great Wall of China, built over a period of 1,400 years. Uh, That wall was to hold out the Mongol hordes and other invading groups, but it really never 
was very effective. It stretched for so far, and it required so many defenders that uh, the barbarians found a way, these hordes, to come through anyways. And so uh, it still stands today. At one time, it was the uh, largest man-made structure uh, on earth and also uh, can still be seen uh, from space. The walls of Constantinople, that defended Constantinople for over a thousand years. Pretty effective wall until someone developed the cannon. And then cannons were brought up and blasted holes through and the enemy poured through about 600 years ago. And then finally, and uh, perhaps with the Great Wall of China, at least in Western minds, this wall uh, is just as famous, the Berlin Wall. It only lasted uh, 1961 to 89, so for about 28 years. Somehow in my mind, it seems like it was there longer because I grew up in that period. I mean, I was six when it was built, and then I was... Uh, what, 34 when it came down. But uh, that wall, according to the East Germans, was to keep Western spies and people from coming over. So they saw it as a defensive wall. The West saw it as a wall to keep people in. It was a prison wall. And that's the thing about walls, folks, is that a wall that we build, we have to be careful, uh, whether it's psychological, whether it's a, a... a wall built with rules or regulations, walls can make us prisoners. We may see it as defending us. We may see it as giving us something positive, but there's also a cost when we build a wall. Uh, the woman who built the wall there in Stanton, she and her husband, it was really for, to block noise from coming in, but it also blocked the view. And anybody walking down the street, a neighbor or anybody, you couldn't wave to them. There was a cost to the wall. And there are a lot of, a lot of walls that we build up inside of us that uh, uh, really begin to hamper our ability to reach out and to be everything that God wanted us to be. And that's what happened when Paul is addressing this wall here In Ephesians chapter 2, the wall that Jesus tears down, he's referring specifically to a wall within the uh, temple courts. You see there this wall that stretches, it's not very high, it's uh, three cubits. I think a cubit, wasn't a cubit basically uh, the, the forearm here, okay, they'd measure it off the king, I believe. So just three cubits, not very, very uh, tall. Didn't really have to be because it had signs all along it. And they actually have found the ruins of some of these stone signs where a message was engraved in there. And it said that if you come past this wall and you are not of Israel, you are not a Jew. If you are a Greek or a Gentile, then know this, that to go beyond this wall, your death will be upon your hands. And the Romans gave the Jews permission. Now, Jesus was executed by the Romans because the Jewish people under Roman rule, the authorities could not execute him. They were not allowed to carry out executions, except in this case, if somebody were to go beyond that wall and they were a Gentile, they could be killed by the Jewish people. So you can see the, the effectiveness of that wall, not so much in its height, but in the threat that it represented to the people. 
And Paul says that Christ has come along and he's become our peace, meaning, meaning he is the peace that exists between us and he is the peace that exists between us and God. And he came and he tore down this barrier, this wall that existed. It's no longer there. Beyond that was the Holy of Holies. There were, there were different walls along the way, different places. There was the court of the Gentiles. That was the furthest out. Then the court of women. The court of Israelites who didn't necessarily weren't Jews, but at least were of the nation. And then there was uh, uh, the court of the priests. And then the Holy of Holies, which only the priests could go into. So, so you had this, you had all these divisions that had come up. And it reminds me a lot of our world, 2,000 years after Jesus, we have a lot of walls that we have created, a lot of barriers. And there are barriers that, that are created even within churches and, and religious systems sometimes create barriers to people. We have different people who have different labels and different authority within the church. And, and, and sometimes some churches have segregated their churches. They have, they have tried to uh, create a church where everybody is just like me. And one sort of wall that we can create that way is the way we dress. Now, today most churches are fairly casual. And you'll go anything from formal, you know, to, uh, to jeans, to shorts, whatever. It's not such a big deal. But... Sometimes people felt that they didn't belong in church because they didn't have the clothes to be part of the church. I remember I had that in my very first church out in the country. There was a man and his wife. They were living off of $700 a month Social Security. They had a garden. Uh, he always had a pig. He was raising up to slaughter. That's, that's how they ate. That's how, and he would bring me stuff for, from his garden. He lived fairly close to the parsonage. And I would invite him to come to church, but he would tell me, well, I don't have the clothes. I don't have the clothes. And then I, I said, it doesn't matter. You just come as you are. And uh, so one day he and his wife showed up at church. And I got to tell you, this was the suit that he had been married in, that he planned on being buried in. And he hadn't worn it since the marriage. And he had a pretty, pretty good girth here. And it really showed that thing. It was amazing he ever got it on. But it made me think about the way we create barriers for people to come. And, of course, we can go back uh, even further and we see uh, examples of uh, walls of prejudice and racism. Segregation was a wall created in this country. And churches fell right in with it. Do you know at one time the trustees were responsible for the use of the building. Some people still think that's the truth. Our trustee chair is here. They're responsible for caring for the building, making sure it's insured and, and making sure that it's in good repair. But back in the 1960s, the United Methodist Church changed the discipline. Rather than saying the trustees were responsible for the use of the building, they said the pastor was responsible for the use of the building. And do you know why? Because all through the South especially, Boards of trustees were preventing African-American preachers from being able to come into the building or even African-Americans from being able to come. And in some cases where a white pastor invited an African-American pastor to come preach, say, at a revival, the trustees would block them. And so the church changed that and said, no, 
Building use is determined by the pastor. I don't say this as a power thing over Wayne over here, but I'm just going to say that that this idea of walls and separation, it wasn't just the Jews in the temple. And God, by the way, never authorized this in the Old Testament. He gives them instructions sometimes on how to build things, but he never authorized the wall. That was their own thing. Think about all the walls. Back when uh, I I lived in Spotsylvania, we were on this farm, and it went back uh, to pre-revolution times, and we had buildings there from the uh, 1700s. We had an old uh, dairy that still stood there, a small building. It had a pie safe going all the way back to uh, two doves punched into the tin. It was beautiful. Milk paint that still existed from way back then. Uh, Smokehouse right next to it. These were called dependencies. And the main house had burned down at the end of the Civil War. And so they built another house on its foundation. And I was curious because I was a real historian back then. And I'd have all these experts come out and they would give me all kinds of information. Mary Mary Washington College had a department on this uh, historic uh, restoration. And then I read down at the courthouse that Snow Hill Farm had the plantation, uh, which had about 100 slaves, but that there was a wall that went diagonally from the corner of the main house out to the dependencies. So at every corner of the main house, a wall went out, and it was made of square bricks that had been removed from the old courthouse when it was moved. So they had taken these bricks over and created these walls that went out at angles to the dependencies, including the overseer's house. Now, what was the purpose of that wall? It meant that those slaves who worked in the house, the house slaves could be within it, but the field slaves could not come into it. It protected the meat house or the smoke house from anyone coming in and taking the meat out of it. And there was a record there of one of the slaves who did, and he was caught by the local sheriff. It was in a diary. And uh, the owner of the plantation asked that he not be punished. The punishment was to have... He had stolen a ham out of the meat house, and the punishment was for him to have half of his foot cut off because he had run away. But the owner asked it not to be done, and I imagine thinking it may have just been because when you have a slave with half a foot, suddenly he's not as valuable as he once was. Just the treatment of that and thinking about that. Well, one day I'm out there. I had this metal rod that I would probe with, and I thought, you know, I'm going to go from the, from the corner of the house and toward the uh, milk house over here and see what happens. So I go down, go get down about eight inches, I hit something. I keep going the whole way, eight inches, I'm hitting something. So then we dig down, we found these square bricks. The foundation of that wall, the wall was gone, but the memory was still there, what it had represented. You see, we have a lot of walls, a lot of walls. Psychological walls, racism, prejudice, walls of fear, walls that say to us, I'm going to only go so far in the church and I'm not going to be taken advantage of. I don't want to become one of those people who every moment of my life is centered upon the church and I have no time for anything else. I need my vacations. I need my time alone. And so I'm going to build up a wall and when, and when the bulletin says we need people to do this or we need people for children's church or whatever, I'm not going to do it. I'm building up a wall and, and I'm going to insulate myself and I'm going to protect myself from that. We all do that. 
I do it. I know I do it. But I think what, what, what Paul was saying to us here is Jesus has come to remove, first of all, that wall of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles so that all people might come to God and know the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. But I think there's also a personal message for each one of us who follow Jesus Christ that we're to be a people who break down walls. We're to do what Jesus did. And that begins with the walls within ourselves and the walls that we have built up over time hoping to make our life tolerable and manageable. But in the end, what it does, it cuts us off from other people, even cuts us off from God. And we lose out on so much. We lose out on so much. And the one example I'll use here, prejudice and racism. Cut off so many people from having relationships with people who would have brought joy into their lives and richness into their lives. You know, I'm very fortunate. I have a very diverse neighborhood we live in and across the street. Most of the folks are usually African-American as they come in and out renting the rooms in this house, eight apartments there. And so after the July 4th parade, I took some of the balloons that uh, we had, the helium-filled stars and stripes balloons that we had, and I took them there and I gave them out to the kids over there. And they were so thankful. And I have been enriched by making relationships with the people over there. And people, well, aren't you afraid they're going to take advantage of you? They don't. Aren't you afraid they're going to steal something off your porch? Seven years, I haven't had a problem. Because we assume our prejudice says these are people you can't trust. So think of all the people you have in your life who you think you can't trust, but at the same time, if you knew them, that might be the person who could become your best friend. These walls rob us. And so Jesus calls us to be people who tear the walls down. One last uh, story, and then maybe you might get out of here on time. It goes back to, I'm going to begin with this scripture before I tell the story. Paul said this in Romans 7. I think that he doesn't say walls here, but I think this is about walls. He says, something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. Think about that. That may be a wall within you, that you have the opportunity to do good, but one of those walls, those psychological walls that has built up within you, that Satan has built within you, stops you from doing it. The man I mentioned earlier about who who came over to my daughter's table in in the restaurant and talked to them, there's a lot of people who wouldn't have done that. I'm not going to go up to those strangers. I don't know how they're going to receive this, but he did it. The Spirit of God, I believe, compelled him to do that. But Paul says, but I have this decision to do good, but sin trips me up, and I've tried everything, and nothing helps. Anybody who has an addiction knows how that is. I don't like this thing. I don't like the fact I'm I'm sinning against God. I don't like the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm doing this in the dark and in the secret in my family. I'm hiding these things from them. I don't like that. But I've tried everything, and in the end, I go back to it. Nothing helps. He says, is there no one who can do anything for me? He says, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. 
Not only can Jesus Christ help you, but Jesus Christ does. He's proactive. He's the hound of heaven who comes after us and seeks us and won't give up until he has returned us to his Father. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Folks, if you've got walls that you just haven't been able to tear down, Jesus will help you take them apart brick by brick. If you're wondering what Jesus is the answer to, when I was a teenager, I was a Jesus freak. You know, early 70s, 75, Andre Crouch was just writing his stuff. Jesus people were putting out great music, and I was listening to it on my eight tracks. And, you know, it was a great time for me to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus. I loved it. And so uh, Andre Crouch came out with this song, and I put the title of the song on the bumper of my car, my Plymouth station wagon, copper-colored station wagon. And it said, in six-inch letters, so they had just come out with those vinyl stick-on letters, and my parents had the office supply store, so I shoplifted them. No, I, I didn't show I took them out and I put on the bumper in blue letters, Jesus is the answer. Now, I had a smart aleck older sister. And, of course, she said the logical, it begs the question, what's the question? If he's the answer, what's he answering? What is the question? And I kind of, you know, well, if you don't know, you know, then (laughs) there's no hope for you. But we know he is the answer to how we're going to get through this life. How we're not going to just get through it, but we're going to flourish. Not just flourish, but give joy to our Heavenly Father. And to know what it means to be a child of God, not just in the life to come, but in this life also. We got a little wild today. You guys didn't out there, but you know, got a little wild today. Um, you may have doubts and questions, the singer said. And you may have things that have built up in your life that need to be torn down. Jesus Christ is our peace and he is the one. He is the way to get rid of those things that have built up inside of us. Those walls that threaten to keep us apart from the people we should be with. And with the God who so desperately wants us to know him. I pray this morning that Jesus would be ours. We're going to sing, I am thine, O Lord. I pray that will be your prayer, your commitment this morning, that you would be drawn to Jesus and you would know him and that you would hold on to him. In there it talks about a single hour spent kneeling in prayer before God. And you know there's that song, Sweet Hour of Prayer. I was thinking about the other day and I thought, how many people spend an hour in prayer with God? The songs tell us, and this song tells us, it's sweet to be with God for that hour. But how many Christians spend an hour with God How many of us are instead kneeling in front of our TV sets for hours? You know, uh, kneeling in the garden or kneeling everywhere, but we're not in prayer. Now, you can pray in the garden. That's a great place to pray. But, folks, we need to be a people who rediscover that connection to God. Satan has built up all kinds of walls to keep us apart from God. And some of them are electronic and technological. And he wants to, to tear those walls down, tear them down through Jesus and come to know God and the sweetness of his presence. Let us pray. Holy Father, we do pray that we will come to be a people who 
Father, not only uh, say that we are Christians, but we live the life of a Christian. That we are people, Father, who go out and make connections and build relationships. Father, we pray that we would be a people who when we see a wall that is, that is harmful, when we see a wall that keeps people from connecting to you, that we will go forward and we will proclaim your word. And in the word of Jesus Christ and in his name, that wall will come down. Father, we pray that as we go forth, we will go as ambassadors of Jesus everywhere. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus as we go forth under your protection. And amen.